All right, you get a third warning then. Come up. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. It's that day uh, where men spend $120 on average more than women on Valentine's Day. But, but more women get upset and forgotten on Valentine's Day than men. So take warning in the statistics. But, uh, and around Valentine's Day, we always talk about that four-letter word, love. And, and what is love? There's lots of quotes about what love is. In uh, um, songs, there's always a, the really old, old one, for those of you who are really, really old and don't want to admit it. There was a, a movie and a song back in the late 50s or early 60s, Love is a Many Splendid Thing. Uh, there was a later song, uh, Love is a Rose and You Better Not Pick It. Or if you were a teenage boy, Love is a Nose and You Better Not Pick It. Uh, I had to throw that one in. Uh, then if you remember uh, your 80s music, Jay Giles had a song called Love Stinks. And I was going to use the song Love Hurts. You can, uh, you can tell how old you are because if I say Love Hurts and you say, oh, that's Nazareth, you're young. If you say that's Roy Orbison, then you're old, because they both did it. And then my favorite, I don't remember the VeggieTale character, but what is that love stuff? Well, love is talked about a lot, and love is talked about in scripture. There's a lot of scripture that talks about love too. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God is love. And then there's the whole 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on a passage about love. And we're going to take a look at that passage today. And in good Presbyterian fashion, we are going to bring up three points. Uh, the necessity of love, the attributes of love, and the endurance of love. And uh, let's pray as we get started. Lord, we ask and pray that you would teach us from your word today in 1 Corinthians 13. We lift it up to you and pray that you would speak through me that it be your words, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Corinthian church was a church that had a lot of problems. It was a church that was set at a crossroads, so it had lots and lots of people coming through it. It was a multicultural church. It was a very diverse church. It had Jews, it had Greeks, it had lots of um, uh, financially well-off people. Um, and it was a church that had a lot of different ideas depending what background you, you came from. Uh, and in that setting, Paul sets aside a chapter to focus and describe uh, this subject of, of love. And he starts out in the first three chapters by showing the necessity of love. And what does he say about love? He said, basically, I can be the most philanthropic person in the world, give away everything I have. Just think pretense, because Paul was a tent maker. Uh, all the writings, all the things he had to give away, but he wasn't only talking about himself, he was talking about anybody. Um, Think about the rich people of today. Um, 
I think of uh, Jeff Bezos, the former um, CEO of uh, Amazon. His wife has been giving away huge amounts of money. Not sure how much love there is there. She's giving it away because she divorced him and it's part of his fortune. And lots of places are benefiting from that uh, lack of love. But the point that Paul is making here is that one can give away all they have, but if there's not love behind it, there is nothing. He also says that you can, if you speak in the tongue of men and of angels, and if you prophesy all prophecy, you can prophesy, you can teach, you can know the scriptures inside out. But if there's not love behind the teaching and the prophecy, it's a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, some people like gongs and cymbals, but that was not meant to be a compliment. It was meant to be noisy chaos. And then the final illustration that he gives about the necessity of love. If I offered my body up to be burned, it counts, but without love, it counts as nothing. If Jesus died on the cross for our sins and there was not love behind it, it would have meant nothing. It would have been an empty sacrifice. How, how can I be so bold to say that? Well, I didn't. Paul did. And his writings are authoritative, unlike my speaking. Uh, but that is what Paul is saying there. Even death on the cross, to pay for our sin with no love behind it, would have been empty, an empty gesture, a meaningless gesture. And so, as we think about our actions as believers, if love is not behind it, then it means nothing, and it, and it counts for nothing. This is why in the letter to Ephesus, in Revelation chapter 2, when, Paul, when, John, when John writes to the, the seven churches, he writes to Ephesus, and it fits right into 1 Corinthians 13. This is so cool how scripture all fits together because Paul wrote uh, Corinthians, but John wrote the book of Revelation. But John says to the church of Ephesus, hey, your teaching is good. You're upholding sound doctrine. You're doing good works. You're doing all these things that uh, Paul mentions in Verses 1 through 3. Great teaching. Great works. But John says, but it's all for naught because you have lost your first love. And what does he tell that church to do? He tells them to repent. Or they'll be destroyed. Because their works and their teaching were without love. Love is necessary in the Christian life. Love toward each other and love toward the world. Without it, we are empty and meaningless as Christians. And how do we know that? Because we claim to serve the living God and the same John who wrote Revelation in John chapter 4 said, Beloved, let us love one another, for God is love. So love is necessary it is necessary in the work that we do 
It is necessary in our relationships with each other. It is necessary in our relationship in, uh, with the world because it was necessary in the work of Christ on the cross. Because after all, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his only son to die on the cross. And Romans 5, verse 8, which says, But God demonstrates his love for us, and that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see the necessity of, of love. Paul then goes and talks about the attributes of love in the middle of the passage, verses 4 through 7 in particular. And it's kind of interesting because you could take every place that says love and place Jesus in there. And you get a picture of our Lord and Savior. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus did not insist upon his own way. Now, people can take that one out of context, and I'm going to talk about that one in... Uh, um, in, in a minute. Uh, and then, if you really want to be convicted, you can put your name in there. Ronnie is patient. Ronnie is kind. Had to use Ronnie. He's, he's, he's your only elder for the next half hour. <laughs> then, then you'll have three of them, and I could use other names. But, uh, but you put your own name in there. Well, Bill is patient. Bill is kind. And, and, and immediately, you realize how, fall, how much we fall short. But when you, look about, when you look at the attributes of love, they compare very favorably with the fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. You see patience in both of them. You see kindness in both of them. When we look at these attributes, what do we see? We see that love puts others before our own needs and wants and desires. It means love does not insist on its own way. Well, some people will say, well, Jesus insists on his own way. He says, I am the only way to salvation. And that is true. But what this means is that Jesus did not coerce a single person into believing. If people wanted to not believe, they were never coerced in, into believing. Jesus taught, and there are consequences for those who did not follow him, but Jesus did not coerce or trick or deceive or manipulate anybody. And nor should we as, as Christians. The love that Paul describes is self-sacrificing. It's putting others before our own wants and needs. And it's putting God first. It's putting Jesus first in our lives. There's lots of application that we can, uh, uh, we can deal with as we look at these attributes. You know, in, in our, um, in our uh, spousal relationships for those who are married, um, sometimes, it, uh, sometimes it means watch something simple, like watching the Olympics with your wife instead of watching real sports. Oh, did I, did I say that? I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm not quite there with uh, knocking each other off snowboards as a sport yet. That, that looks like more fun than sport, but uh, I just like good old-fashioned hockey, but uh, where, where you just skate and fight. Uh, 
but uh, it, it could mean something as simple as coming home from a hard day's work and, and taking the kids because you know your wife had them all day and they were not on their best behavior. It could mean being at a session meeting and uh, you new elders will um, appreciate this soon and uh, you know, disagreeing with uh, the brethren on a way ahead, not something doctrinally, just the way something should be done. And uh, you're very passionate about it, but you're outvoted. But loving each other enough to say, God speaks through you too, and we'll try it your way. Um, it could mean accepting the brother or sister who has slightly different views about you politically or on areas where scripture allows us to have freedom of, of decisions, uh, methods of schooling, for instance. It means trusting that God will work and not expecting God to work in others as fast as he's working in you. It means being willing to, to sacrifice uh, for others and uh, not always hosting the meeting at your house but being willing to drive and go out in the cold and not always making others. There's lots of little things that uh, when we look about love. It's not always the big things. God doesn't always call us to die for someone else, although he called his son to. Love is displayed in a lot of little actions toward one another in the body just like it is outside the body. The Good Samaritan is a great example where two Jewish leaders of the time passed the Samaritan, but uh, I mean passed the, uh, the person who was mugged, uh, but the Samaritan stopped and, and helped him and, and cared for him. That act of love often goes a long, long way. I've heard in my time of being a believer, and I became a believer in high school, countless numbers of times people giving their testimonies, and they first got interested in Christianity because a Christian did an innocuous act of love toward them. It might have been leaving a bigger than normal tip in um, uh, when, when they served them as a waiter or waitress. Uh, it could have been stopping to help them along the road when they had a flat tire. It could have been buying them a, a cup of coffee or tea when they were down. It could have been the only one to reach out to them when they received bad news. It could have been a telephone call when everybody else was rejecting people. It could, it's something as simple as being there when nobody else was. Small acts of love, very often, God uses to end up bringing people into their kingdom, into his kingdom. It's often, um, you know, we, we talk about the necessity to preach the gospel, and we need to preach the gospel. And Romans 10 makes it very clear that people cannot be saved if they don't hear the message. So we have to speak the message.
but often that message falls on deaf ears if it's not accompanied with acts of love. And that's why in the book of Acts and in the Gospels, you see Jesus always accompanying preaching with acts of love, either healing, feeding, calming the storm, or other, other acts of love. Finally, in the passage, Paul talks about the endurance of love. He talks about faith, hope, and love, and he says they're imperfect now. And he gives, he gives two illustrations. And when um, Jewish writers want to make a point, they repeat things. Sometimes... In, in Hebrew writing, if you wanted to say, watch out for the pit, you would say, watch out for the pit. And if you wanted to say, watch out for this really big, nasty, deep pit, you would say, watch out for the pit pit. You'd repeat it twice. Only once does anything ever repeated three times in Scripture, and that is God being called holy, 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 which sets his holiness apart from anything else. But Paul repeats the illustration of the um, endurance of faith, hope, and love twi uh, twice because he gives two illustrations here. He gives an illustration of looking in a mirror, uh, seeing dimly, but then you'll see face to face, and he gives the illustration of thinking as a child versus being able to think as an adult. And the illustrations are meant to say that uh, faith and hope and love are incomplete and imperfect now. They're tainted with sin. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. The perfect there is referring to Christ. There is unfortunately a branch of Christianity that teaches that the perfect is the scriptures, but uh, that is not a correct interpretation because I haven't seen much perfection even with the scriptural writings being revealed to us. Um, that is definitely, when the perfect comes, that is referring to uh, the second coming. But Paul talks about love being incomplete and imperfect. But he talks about that after the command, after he commands us to have it and shows us the attributes of love. After he says that our lives as Christians are empty without love, and after he shares the attributes of love, which are the same attributes of, as I mentioned earlier, the fruits of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit gives us, then he says that love there will be tainted because of sin. It will be imperfect. It will be incomplete. But when the perfect comes, the perfect will pass away. And then he ends up with an interesting passage that says, so faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Now, do you ever wonder why the greatest of these are love? Well, there's a good reason. We have faith now. But in heaven, we will not have faith. Why will we not have faith in heaven? Because Hebrews 11 teaches, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We will no longer be um, not seeing when we get to heaven. We will have the complete story. We will not be waiting for things hoped for. We will have it. In heaven, there will not need to be any faith because we will know all. Hope. 
Hope endures now. We hope for the second coming. We hope for revival in our nation. We hope for the end of COVID. We hope the New York Yankees never win another game. No. Did I say that? Uh, sorry. I, I just have to slip stuff like that in every once in a while just to see if people are listening. But, but we hope. But when we get to heaven, there will be no more hope. Our hope will be fulfilled. There will be no more need for hope because we will have our hope. So faith and hope are here, but in heaven we will no longer need them. But love, there will be love in heaven. There is love now, imperfect and tainted as it is, but there will be love in heaven because love is what drives the relationship between God and his people. God and his people are described in scripture as a husband and his bride, the ultimate example of love. That is the best we can do, an earthly example of love is, is a man and wife. The heavenly example of love we have is God and his church. Love will abide in heaven. Everything will be based on love. Love will go on forever, and this is why the greatest faith, hope, and love abide throughout our life. But the greatest of these is love. This is why the greatest of these is love, because there will be no more faith and hope in heaven, but there will be love. And there will be love for eternity. And Paul teaches that because we have the rest of our lives on this earth to practice that love that will be there for eternity. So as we think about Valentine's Day and we think about all these things about love and think the great Valentine's Day show, my, my personal favorite was uh, Pooh Bear's Valentine's when, when Rabbit tried to outlaw Valentine's Day because he just didn't want to be bothered with all these Valentines in his mailbox. But uh, it's, a, it's a great cartoon. Um, keeps your kids entertained, too. But uh, we, uh, as we think about Valentine's Day and the world talks about love, and you see those big uh, chocolate hearts in the store, you know, covered with multiple chocolates. I, I like the chocolate-covered cherries myself. But uh, this Valentine's Day is a good opportunity to reflect on what God has to say about love. We've commercialized it into a day of love, but God calls us to have a life of love. And so as we think about application, I first challenge you, for those who are married, are you loving your husband? Are you loving your wife? Look at those attributes in chapters 13, verses 4 through 7. Are you being patient? Are you being kind? Are you insisting on your own way or not insisting? Are you jealous? Are you envious? And for those who aren't married, consider the relationship with your parents or your boyfriend or girlfriend if you have one or your best friend. Are you showing those attributes? We're going to be loving our whole eternal life, so we need to practice now. The second application is, how are we loving the body of, of Christ? Look at these attributes. Are we treating each other in the church uh, with love? The Bible says that God is love. In a sense, only Christians can love. 
Non-Christians can show acts of love and do acts of love and show love in a non-spiritual sense. But if God is love, because we're image bearers, we're all image bearers, all, all created men and women are image bearers of God, we're able to love to some extent, but Christians are able to love much more than others because we have the Holy Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are the same as the attributes of love here. And so how are we loving each other in our church? Are we fighting over things we ought not to be fighting about? My, uh, my, my favorite pastor and mentor, Stan Long, I, I love when he talks about politics and he says... Uh, uh, we are not the party of the donkey and we are not the party of the elephant. We are the party of the lamb. You know, do we remember that? Do we fight over things that the scriptures allow for freedom? Do we love one another? Do we really care for each other's growth? Are we hospitable and kind to others? Do we help others in our congregation during time of need and struggle, or do we just say, we got enough going on in our own lives? How do we care for members of our, our congregation? Are we showing acts of love and kindness to them? And lastly, to the world. Uh, I, was in, I became a Christian through a young life. I don't know if any of you went to young life. In high school, it was a great ministry because you not only heard the gospel, but you got to see how many people you could fit in a Volkswagen at once, or how many marshmallows you could eat, you know, eat at one time, or other crazy things that they do in young life. Um, but um, we always used to sing this song, uh, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And it's funny, when I got older and started going to a Reformed church, I heard some elders and pastors kind of mocking that song. Well, it's not, you know, not really uh, solid scripturally. But I found out, yes, it is. It's very solid scripturally because John chapter 13, 34 and 35 say, by this they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So that song we sang, they'll know we are Christians by our love comes right out of John chapter 13. And so, how are we loving the world? Are we loving our neighbors around us? Are we showing them, are we showing our neighbors the love of Christ? Are we doing acts of kindness and acts of love for them? Are we praying for them? One of the best ways you can love somebody is, is praying for them. How are we showing the love of Christ in our community? Um, sometimes churches like to use COVID as an excuse for down membership, uh, we, and we can't do things in the community to show our love. Well, COVID has done a lot of things, but I don't think, unless you've died from it, it has not stopped anybody from praying. Uh, it also hasn't stopped anybody from being able to give or call people up on the phone or do things that don't cost anything for those who may have lost jobs or, uh, or, or lost great financial uh, um, ca uh, capability that they had. Um, showing love doesn't always cost money. Sometimes it does. Uh, um, and, um, but there are many things that you can do. Even if you're 
jobless or a child and, um, and, and don't have any money, uh, it doesn't always mean buying something for somebody. It can mean that, but it doesn't always have to. We can pray, we can do acts of service, we can encourage, we can thank, we can walk up to somebody with a kind word, we can care for those different than us, we can ask people what we can pray for and we can pray for them. And we can be involved in the many help out ministries that Columbia has right now. There are many Ministries like the Salam Center and Balm that uh, help people in Baltimore that one can be involved in. There are, in, in this area, there are many, many opportunities to show the love of Christ. And so, as we think about Valentine's Day being the day of love, I leave you with the question, how can I better love my God? How can I better love my spouse? How can I better love my brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, and how can I better love my community? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of love and you call us to love one another. We ask that you would help us to do this in our lives, Lord, in all aspects of our lives. And we thank you for the 1 Corinthians 13 and for teaching us what love is and, and how we ought to love others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.